0: Welcome to a new episode of the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're excited to present a conversation from the 61st New York Film Festival between American Cinema Editor members Sandra Adair and Jonathan Alberts as part of the CrossCut section of our Talks program. The talk includes a discussion of film editing, the art of cutting dialogue, and their longtime collaborations – with Hitman director Richard Linklater and All of Us Strangers director Andrew Haig, respectively, in a conversation moderated by American cinema editor member Jeffrey Wolf. Across genres, styles, and modes of production, the work of the film editor remains one of the least visible but most essential elements of cinematic storytelling. In this year's NYFF lineup, Main Slate selection All of Us Strangers and Spotlight selection Hitman are exemplary showcases for the range of expressive effects made possible by the film editors' contributions, demonstrating how pacing, rhythm, and punctuation can amplify or obscure meaning, accentuate performances, and synthesize precise interactions between comedy, drama, suspense, and eroticism. This talk was organized in collaboration with American cinema editors. All NYFF 61 talks were sponsored by HBO. The Jewish Museum and Film at Lincoln Center are delighted to continue their partnership to bring you the 33rd Annual New York Jewish Film Festival, presenting films from around the world that explore the Jewish experience. The 2024 Festival runs from January 10th through January 24th, and presents a dynamic lineup of 28 films, including narratives, documentaries, and shorts. Tickets are on sale now at filmlink.org/nyjff. Now, please enjoy the conversation between Sandra Adair and Jonathan Alberts. Sit down. <clears throat> <clears throat> um,
1: so, hitman. Glenn Powell plays a straight-laced philosophy professor, Gary Johnson, who moonlights as an undercover hitman for the New Orleans Police Department. Gary begins to descend into morally dubious territory when he finds himself attracted to one of those potential criminals. The film is based on an improbable true story with a few wild embellishments. Now, Netflix wasn't able to provide us with a clip of this film, so... (laughs) So, <laughs> we will show you a clip from Before Midnight, another collaboration of Sandra and, and Richard Linklater. Before Midnight is um, the third in a trilogy following Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. And the story is on the last night of their idyllic Greek vacation, longtime lovers Jesse, Ethan Hawk, and Celine, Julie Delpy, reminisce about their lives together and what different choices might have brought. Sandra has said it's her favorite of the three, maybe she'll tell us why in their conversation. So we're gonna show you a clip of that and then talk about it a little bit afterward. I love those films. So um, before we get on to Jonathan's clip, I thought it would be fun to start with process and script, that that's something that definitely is part of this but Jonathan I'm sure has a lot to say about that as well Go ahead.
2: that's to you okay well
3: <laughs> the thing I love the best about that is when she calls him a closet macho <laughs> who says that um uh what was the question? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, to start with, getting the script first, and then the okay. process—the beginning of the process.
3: Yeah, the reading the scripts are always really fun. Every Linklater film that I've ever done with him has been incredibly unique. So he doesn't—he he makes films that are variously different, and uh, so I'm always surprised when I read a script to. Have some kind of inkling of where he's headed with the film. Um, I was we had a conversation earlier today, and i I did say, and I really firmly believe this that the written page is um so transformed once it goes through an actor's mind and the the workshopping, the rehearsals, the the interaction between the director and the actors. And then the sets that get built and the locations where they shoot and the cinematography, like it just, it isn't a written document anymore. It's suddenly an entirely different animal. And so, though the script are the bones of a movie, and especially well-written scripts, um, I feel like that, that an editor shouldn't feel tied to the written word. that's my take. What about you?
2: Well, it's interesting. I think the uh, my process with Andrew is a little bit different. I mean I think I usually we're, we're, we've been working for about ten years together. so uh, when he, we're busy working on a, on a show, on a television show or a film. He's busy typing in the background, and I'm, you know, cutting, and what are you working on? And he's like, I'm working on a story, and this is what I'm working on. And there's a few things usually happening, and so that's when I first hear about the script. Um, and then, typically, he'll share it with me a few months later. And when I read that script, we have a conversation. We talk about what he wants to do, what his vision for the film is, and, you know, thinking about it with all of us strangers, uh, I think he you know he came over. I'm live in Los Angeles and he came over and he you know plunked himself down on my, my couch and we just started talking for a couple hours about what you know his vision for the film was. Um so once we started shooting, uh I'm putting those, you know, I'm putting the film together and generally getting to, I mean I think for all of us strangers, we shot for about seven weeks, and uh when we got the you know got to this assembly stage where i'd finished the assembly which is you know the first cut of the film about a week after shooting um typically and i know not all editors are like this i think it's maybe a little different with you and richard but andrew and i never sit in the same room and watch that cut cuz you know you've worked so hard it's like you've spent a lot of time yourself and your assistants putting it together And, you know, I think, uh, it's a really vulnerable time for a director. It's an extremely vulnerable time seeing all the problems or seeing all the things they didn't get. And I quite like not being in the room. I think Andrew and I did a film a few years ago, a few years ago called 45 Years. And, uh, it was the first film we did together. And, uh, when I spoke to him, I said, how do you want to watch the first cut? He's like, do you want to? And he's like, no, no, I'll watch it like separate. And I was like, okay, great. And, uh, after he watched that, he said uh, to me, he's like, Well, I didn't cry. So it was like a positive thing, and that's kind of what you hope for with a director, because it's it's a kind of a crazy experience for them.
1: You know, both of both of these films feel like the dialogue's being improvised, and, and we know it's not, but the way they're shot, it feels very much, you know, like that. Can you go through like what it's like to go through multiple multiple takes to kind of figure out how to put that? You know, how to find the right tone and how to build the house of that scene.
3: Uh, oh, it's Sorry easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy. Um, <laughs> let's see. None of Richard's films are um, improv. They, he writes. They he, he co-writes with his actors frequently. on Hitman, <clears throat> the lead actor Glenn Powell was a co-writer, and in the before trilogy, uh, Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy were co-writers on those scripts. And so their process is very it's very um, open between the actor and the writer and the director and they rehearse and rewrite and rehearse and rewrite and they really discover the characters and and who those people are going to be before they ever bring a camera into the room. So uh, are you that, privy
2: to that, Sandra? Like do you get to are you no, involved at all? No.
3: No. I mean that is something that that I think I revere Richard for. He he has this process down with the actors and it's very private. And it it he doesn't it's just what he does. That's his gift. And I am not privy to that part of it. And that's fine with me. But um, there have been some scenes, like this one that we just saw in Before Midnight, where everybody's talking at once and you think, oh my God, this is utter chaos. How in the hell am I ever going to make an edit in that when three people are talking at the same time? And in the moment when they're shooting the takes, there's a lot of variance in the takes. Some are... It's pitch, really, is what it is. Some of the takes are very excited and everybody's kind of raising their voice. Some of the takes are more seductive. It's really, um, they deliver, the actors deliver, a wide range of choice. And then um, that's where I come in. Like, where, what is the appropriate... Pitch and tone of the scene at the beginning, the middle, and the end, and how does it feel how do can I make it feel not technical but realistic as if it's really happening and that's you know that's my job and um anyway, I hope that answers your question
1: no but Jonathan you know we we talked about the arc of a scene, the arc <laughs> of a section of the movie an arc of the entire
3: film,
2: you know. Well, I think uh, my approach is always about, you know, you have to think about the entire film in terms of an arc, in terms of like, starting at point A and getting to point B. And um, and I approach that within acts of the film and I approach that within scenes because every scene has to have an event. Every scene has to have a reason why it exists. So, you know, if, if it doesn't have a reason, then why is it there? And so in terms of starting, you know, when you're cutting a scene, it's always finding for me. It's finding not just the dialogue, but it's finding the subtext. It's you know ideally, good films for me always have text and they always have subtext. They always dialogue and everything that's you know beyond the dialogue. And oftentimes, you're crafting a scene to find those moments. I mean, you know, you can do experiments, and I'm sure you've done them before, where you start pulling dialogue away, and you can do that when you have a performance that doesn't work, Um, but you can do that as well when you have performances, great performances, like in All of Us Strangers, we had a great group of actors, and when you start pulling dialogue out and you start to do things with looks and you start to do things, it feels, you know, that's all the subtext that basically is telling the audience what's going on, whether it's body language, um, looks between characters and that kind of a thing. So I'm always thinking about the text and the subtext, because the subtext is always a bit more interesting. And I think the clip that I have is a bit about, you know, it's with Claire Foy, which I think is a good way to talk about performance.
1: Um, Why don't we talk about that then?
2: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So um, All of Us Strangers
1: is an expertly modulated, emotionally overwhelming low story suspended in a metaphysical realm. Adam played by Andrew Scott plays a melancholy screenwriter living alone who meets and begins a passionate relationship with the more extroverted Harry, played by Paul Mescal? At the same time, Adam begins another parallel journey to confront his troubled past and perhaps reconcile his unsettled present. All of Us Strangers is uncommonly perceptive about the desires, fears, and traumas of a specific generation of gay men and its depiction of familiar love and estrangement.
2: So why don't we look at the clip? And just to set the yeah. clip up for a second, sure. because it's a little... I don't know if anybody... Has anybody seen the movie? Mm-hmm. Okay, oh, so a group of people have seen it. So I think just for the people that haven't seen it, I think this is Adam coming back to his, the, his childhood home, and uh, his mother's, you know, basically a ghost. So it's the first... It's the second meeting he's had with her, and when he arrives, it's... Uh, no spoilers. De- No, it's him stepping into it. But I think if you don't know that, you kind of, you'll see.
1: This is a film that really catches you by surprise. (laughs) Yeah, it
2: does. I mean, I think what's interesting and why I chose this clip, because it's not, you know, a particularly flashy clip. It's not, I mean, there's sequences in the film that are, you know, much more exciting in terms of cuts and and things like that. But I think what often doesn't get it talked about is just the difficulty in cutting dialogue scenes. And dialogue is oftentimes much more difficult to cut than action. Action scenes are oftentimes quite blocked out. They're very, you know, um, storyboarded. And there's so much going on with the dialogue, as I was saying before, in terms of the nuance. And, you know, thinking about Claire's performance, I mean, there's so much going on in her eyes. And when you have, you know, two great actors, when you have four great actors in the film, it's that nuance is, you see that in four or five takes. You see that in all the takes that you're getting. I mean, it's not like oh, that's the best performance of of that setup. I mean, you're getting a lot of good stuff, and it's always a question of, well, you don't just put all the best stuff in. You're actually, you know, really calibrating performance, even for for great actors. So it's pretty interesting with, you know, the choices that we had to make between Andrew inhabiting this world where he was kind of a child again with his mother, and Claire being a mother to, to a boy that is now, you know, 35 years older so there's this kind of there's a lot going on I think for me it's what good performances is is basically when actors are doing more than one thing and I worked with a a director you know quite a while ago and I remember she was talking to an actor and she was saying like you know you know or the actor was saying to her rather he's saying do I you know do you want me to you know do you want me to feel more guilty in this scene it was kind of like it was an interrogation scene but not like a police interrogation scene and She's like, do you want me to be more guilty? Should I be more culpable? Should I be like feel more innocent? She's like, I want you to do all of those things. And it's kind of the key, I think, with acting is that it's not about one emotion. There's so much going on on the textual level, on the subtextual level, but also within the performance as a whole. And that's what I think makes performance a really interesting thing to cut, is those choices become so much about, you know... So much about character, and so much about how you're feeling, um, how those characters are operating within the scene, within the whole. So,
1: I, I mean, other things, learned craft in some ways, but we were talking a lot about feel, a feel for the scene, and a knowing when you go in to cut a scene. Can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, for me, um, just like Jonathan said. Every scene is in the movie for a reason. And it's doing some work to tell the story of the whole. And so I try to always figure out, like, what is this scene doing for the film? What's it doing for the audience? And what is it doing for the characters? What is, and I know this word is a kind of a trigger word, but what is the intent of this scene and how is it going to, operate overall and one of the things i agree about cutting dialogue i've cut a lot of dialogue films in my life because that's kind of what richard does i learned very early on that when you cut to a reaction shot of an actor and the words that the person who is speaking is not on camera but the words are falling on the expression of the other actor It takes on a whole new meaning than if you're just sitting there watching someone talk. And so the selection of exactly what piece in a reaction shot, it's very nuanced. Just like Jonathan said, you're looking for something that connects the two characters or three or eight in that case, and what is it that's going to draw emotion whatever emotion you're trying to create. And a lot of times it's reaction shots. And um, I don't know, it's, we manipulate performance. Performances are delivered in the most immaculate way. They're, you know, we have both worked with some of the finest actors in the business, but still you can't just lay down a take and say, okay, that's awesome. You, you've got, there's so many things that are going through your mind as an editor when you're cutting a scene. You're thinking about how close should you be? How far away should you be? Who should be talking? Who should be listening? Should it all be listening? Should I even cut? Like maybe I don't even need to make an edit. It's there, you know, what is the lighting? Is there a shadow? Is there a microphone hanging down in the shot? There's a lot of things that go through your mind that you're, for me, I mean, it can only speak for me, but I'm calculating and I watch takes over and over and over again. And each time I watch, I'm I'm looking at different things, um, including, and I hate to say this, continuity. Um, so there's a lot of times the lines, the timing can get kind of, uh the timing isn't just right on something. And so you realize, well, look, if I just take out this pause and pull it under, it's gonna feel better.
2: And I think sometimes with that it's you know, I think you learn that I think over the course of your career in terms of like there is an instinct to it, but it is a learned craft and editing is the kind of thing where early on in, you know, my career was, you know, I was scared to death sometimes of like trying to understand and figure out a structure of a film or how something was working. And I think it's, it's a thing, the more you do, the more you kind of understand it and can instinctually feel of those things. But it's, um, it is a, it's a strange thing because there are so many, um, look, there's so many options when you, when you have a scene, like your scene, you said was that three minute clip we saw was a 17 minute scene. So, it's a massive kind of thing that you have to break down into small parts. And for all of us strangers, we were cutting, we basically were cutting for 14 months total. So that's like, that's a lot of time for, you know, what's an hour and 45 minutes on the screen. And I think a lot of what editing is, is exploring all the possibilities and you're exploring all those possibilities with all the variables that you have. And that's all the performance that you have. you can choose any music you want in the world. You can choose any kind of sound design. You have you know, the wealth of, of choosing anything. And so much of it, I think, too, is about taste and about coming into the editing room with Andrew, the director of All of Us Strangers, and us talking about different things, sharing different playlists of music in terms of what he was writing with, what I was thinking about. When we were shooting, I was editing on set, and I was listening to this Italian composer the entire time, which we ended up using for temporary soundtrack before the composer came in and a lot of that was you know just feeling inspired by it, inspired by it and sharing it with him and so much of it is like you bring things in from your own life and things that are going on you know the successes and failures you have and around you and you you use those and i think so often people think a film is like oh it just becomes clear it's like you cut it and you cut it down and you trim this off and you take that out and suddenly it just reveals itself when i kind of feel like You wrestle it to the ground and you make it look as simple as possible and not simplistic but you want it to feel easy but it's something that you really i mean you struggle with and we struggled with over 14 months in terms of getting tonally those things right and uh you know it's just something that uh it is a craft you learn over your lifetime
0: this podcast is proudly supported by netflix Presenting May-December from director Todd Haynes. Nominated for five Spirit Awards, including Best Feature, four Golden Globe Awards, and three Critics' Choice Awards, including Best Original Screenplay. May-December is Natalie Portman's best performance ever, says Awards Watch. Variety raves, Charles Melton delivers a performance that could shoot him to superstardom. And IndieWire proclaims, Julianne Moore is sensational featuring what Variety calls a whip-smart script from Critics' Choice Award nominee Sammy Birch. May-December. For your consideration in all categories.
1: I mean, we kind of passed it, but I, I did want to... There's a phrase having an ear for dialogue, and, and I think that that phrase is somewhat... You, you're born with it. And you learn it as you go along, but um, yeah, that's very much the case in, in both of these films in terms of um, of that. And now you start to talk about music, so very different kind of music in these two films, Hitman and, and All of the Strangers. Um, Hitman is a very interesting score, I think, because it, um, it, it starts kind of happy, and then it kind of gets dramatic, and then it gets... And happy again so tell us how you got to
3: that okay yeah um, so we have a composer in Austin, Texas where I live and work with Richard uh, Graham Reynolds and he has scored several of Richard's films and he's a wonderful wonderful collaborator and the film is set in New Orleans and so we had uh, hundreds of Louisiana songs to select from. And so we wanted to instill the character of New Orleans with the music, but the score does a lot of heavy lifting as well because it, the film has a lot of... I guess nobody here has seen Hitman yet, right? Oh, one person. Oh, a few. Okay. Um, The film has a lot of twists and turns. It's very unexpected. And so the score kind of helps... Uh, support what, what's happening in the scenes without kind of directing your emotion. Like it doesn't really do too much to, uh, it doesn't overdo it. So the selection of songs was really fun. Uh, when they wrapped, all of the crew members made a Spotify list of their favorite Louisiana, music. So there was a Spotify list with like 250 or 300 Louisiana songs. And then one of the actors, Austin Emilio, gave a huge playlist to Rick. And then a friend of mine who grew up in New Orleans gave me a big playlist. So at the in the end, we had like 500 songs to select from. And we only used a handful. And then the rest of it is is score. And Graham... Um, you know, he went off on, in the wrong direction. We had to pull him back a little bit. And really, it's just a series of he would give us a draft. We'd, I'd cut it in. We'd listen to it, talk about it, maybe move it around a little bit. And then we'd talk about the instrumentation and um, what we felt needed to happen with the, with the score. And it really is just a back and forth, back and forth with, uh, with him.
1: One of the interesting things in All of Us Strangers was, um, I think I mentioned to you this morning, that I heard some music and all of a sudden I thought, was that playing the whole time? Or, or was I just hearing it now for the first time?
2: Yeah, I think it's a lot in the films that I work on with Andrew. Uh, in terms of the score, like not the pop songs that come in, but just the score. I mean, he he always wants them to appear kind of unknowingly and disappear unknowingly and you know the idea is always to be it's always about being quite subtle with things and always um, having music that supports a scene and underscores it but never makes itself too known and it's it's for this film it was very it was such a specific thing because of the tone of the film it's not just a straight ahead drama that there are kind of in a way supernatural elements but we never wanted it to be move into genre we always wanted to keep it in a very subtle space and it's a very delicate line and I think music certainly is something that you know helps to draw that out I mean you put on the wrong music and we tried a lot of different things before we'd actually gotten to the um, stage of hiring a composer and we tried a lot of different things a lot of different screenings for the studio and a lot of different conversations about music and a lot of different notes about what was working and what's not working and this is always as Sandra said it's this back and forth dialogue that you know everybody has an opinion about what's good music I mean if they don't know what is good editing they know what they like in music and it's <laughs> and you always hear about it and you're constantly hearing about it from studio executives and you know, and when you have screenings for for different people to kind of test out the film, and it's such an odd experience because as editors you work so hard putting that score together. Um, as I said, when I was when we were shooting this film, I was we shot it in London, and we were shooting on the stage for Adam's apartment. And uh, I would take the tube and the train in every day, and I was uh, listening to this Italian composer Caterina Barbieri, which we ended up using as temp for the. And for the temporary soundtrack before we hired the composer and she's an amazing composer and we met with her and we thought about her doing the score but eventually we kind of went in a different direction but that evolved over several months and many discussions so everything that kind of ends up it becomes like such a talking point I suppose.
1: But but in that movie it became very important because it kept reminding you that we were in some sort of supernatural. Yeah
2: situation. and I mean that's what you know music does I mean it's that kind of thing where it's like certain music hitting certain tropes. I mean, we never wanted to feel like it was genre or any kind of horror thing, but we knew there were like kind of these traumatic elements and music all reminds us reminds us of certain things based on instrumentation, based on the rhythm, based on where they're placed with what picture. And that is a constant negotiation in the cutting room. Constantly you're talking about that, going back and forth with the director. And, you know, as I said, with all the other voices that are end up being in the room. So. It's why it oftentimes takes a long time, but it's 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 a fun process as well. I mean,
1: before we take questions, I, we we had a little conversation about in, kind of inside baseball about how you solve a problem on a, on a, that you might have in a given scene or a scene that you've worked on weeks before or weeks, out, you know, that like where's that safe place that you go to figure out, like you know
2: where it comes to you, you know, like mm-hmm. oh that that's what I should do. I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think it's the creative process is one which is complicated. And for any of you that's, you know, created anything, whether it's writing an essay, I mean, that's, it's, it's a weird process of whittling things down, moving things around. And I think problems always come up in the cutting room where you don't know how to solve them. Sometimes it's structural in terms of the placement of the scenes, sometimes it's within a scene, sometimes it's a performance. And for me, it's like what I'm always find is that, you know, when I go out for a run or I do something, I'm, my mind is not on the problem. Sometimes you can solve it in the cutting room, but sometimes you need to like get away from it. You like, if I'll go for a run and I'm like looking at, you know, your, your mind is totally detached from it, whether that, it's that or in the shower or somewhere else. It's like I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, you know what? I think there's an idea for a piece of music if it came in later, if it was there. And then, you know, and I take that stuff to the cutting room because it's the kind of thing where I think you almost have to be slightly detached from the problem in order to get a kind of bird's eye view for it. So for me, it's it's kind of where it ends up. I, I
3: agree 100%. Like the shower, things don't on me in the shower and... I, and sometimes I even forget what the thought that I had. I also play a trick with myself, which is to take the, to take the onus off of just playing around and I will make a duplicate of a sequence and I'll write experiment. So it's like, okay, nobody's judging this. I'm not judging it. Rick's not judging it. Nobody's judging it. I'm just going to play. And that somehow tricks me into being, releasing the, any constraints that I have. Also, um, I'll, I listen to a lot of music in my car while I drive to work. And sometimes I will hear the most random song in the world. And I'll be like, oh, my God, that would work so Good in the funeral scene in Last Flag Flying. That's like the perfect song. And I, like, drive 90 miles an hour to the cutting room, <laughs> step on the gas, get in there, tell my assistant, can you get that song and put it in, and by God, it works. And it's like, if that hadn't come on the radio, it never, ever would have occurred to me.
2: But I think, <laughs> I think that's, that's, I think it's too what's what what editing is all about, and I think editors often get short shrift about their contribution, how it it works within that, but you take things from your life and you put them in there and you kind of understand that, you know, it's a very personal process because editing is a completely subjective craft and it's one that, you know... I don't know it's it's just it's it's not divorced from, you know, just this kind of monolithic like filmmaking and it's just the script is there it's it's I don't know it, it's a very misunderstood and it's a very hard thing to explain I find. And
3: when you live with a film as long as Jonathan has 14 months or with me um Hitman 7 months and you're so immersed in all of the detail and all of the big picture you—it's just in there. It's in your subconscious. You can't ignore that it's permeated your whole being. Really. And you can't
2: get rid of it either.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so I think we'll open up the questions. Jonathan was curious. One second. It, it, could you raise your hand if you—if you're an editor? Oh wow! Aspiring. Or aspiring. That's good, uh, yes. sir.
3: I don't know what the rules are, if they are, if they exist. I think every project is so different. You just can't, you just can't go by the rules. Those mugshots, there were a lot of iterations of how we ended up using those mugshots. And um, when we did, here's just a little anecdote. When we did... um, Dazed and Confused, which was 30 years ago. We went through a very rigorous preview process. Like, just, we were out in California, a million screenings and notes from the studio and feedback from the audience and then another screening over and over again. And Rick and I were like, you know, they just want it faster, funnier, and stupider. (laughs) And, and, And he and I... You know, we would we make this hand gesture of like they just they just want <laughs> like that's, you know, and so we still make that joke with each other because obviously you want the film to be paced correctly, you want the jokes to land, but every joke is different. So I don't know what the rules are. It's really it I don't
1: know. William Goldman William Goldman says make it 10% funnier. So.
3: Right. <laughs>
1: So right
2: there
0: in the middle okay. uh, do you have a Do you get chances to work on documentaries?
1: And if so, are they vastly different to cut?
2: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll just, yeah. So I started working in documentary when I was living in New York uh, in the late '90s, and that's kind of how I got into editing. And uh, documentary is a whole different thing in a way I mean it's still story but I think you spend so much time in a documentary just writing the story um but I love documentary and I think documentary is amazing and I think it was actually like very fertile ground to to learn how to edit because you learn in a very different way and it's just it's um it's rigorous I think rigorous and I mean look working on a film for 14 months that's scripted is is definitely rigorous as well but it's a different kind of rigor I suppose. Oh,
3: yeah, I agree. Um, documentaries are very, they use a different part of your brain in an entirely different way. When you have a narrative script and actors, it's so different than when you have footage that's it could be you know, hours, hundreds of hours of footage shot over years and. The editor's job is to find the right pieces to tell a story in a very short amount of time. It's very, very different. I actually directed a documentary and edited it myself. And, oh boy, I'm <laughs> telling you, I it was so difficult. and And I kept thinking, I brought this on myself. I don't know why I did that, but... The editing part of it, and the and telling the story, and shooting it, and doing the interviews, I finally realized no one is going to do this except me. So get in there and don't make a bad film. And it just kind of it it came together. I'm really really proud of it. But it it's it's entirely different animal than narrative.
1: Hello, um, my name is Maya and I'm an actor and I just want to say thank you so much to Sandra and Jonathan. Um, I watch a lot of films and I really appreciate what editors do. And I just want to know what is the, um, the most important process of making a choice in the process of looking at something repetitively and then also talking to the director who is important in terms of persuading them to
3: make that choice as well in the final cut of the film. Okay. That's a hard question. Um, (laughs) Making choices are, and I know a lot of editors probably say this, it's very instinctual and it's very gut-driven. And if, if you select a piece and you put it in the movie juxtaposed to the shot in front and the shot in back and it seems to flow and work you're likely to stick with it. If you put it in there and it feels like you're taking a left turn somewhere, you have to try again. And so there's a certain amount of being tenacious about something, about being just absolutely not giving up. Um, the director uh, if if there's a disagreement about whether or not something works or not, timing is everything when to di- talk to a director. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, if they walk in the room and you can tell they're agitated, it's probably not the best time to bring it up. <laughs> so you just wait until the time is right and there's a vibe that feels open. You said, by the way, I wanted to talk to you about this. What about Check out my experiment. You know, it, you just have to...
2: It's often showing and not telling. Because yes. if you just say it's wrong, it's like, well, how about something like this? You create a lot of new ideas that way. Yeah. I mean, that's like a way in which it's like, well, this is what I was kind of workshopping this, you know, after hours, and you show them something. I mean, even if it's not right, it sparks these other other ideas. 100%. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's you know, it's a very, sh- it's, a, it's a much more of a show and not tell kind and- of...
3: Yeah, That's I hard. like to give the director options, like option A, B, and C. So I'll cut something three ways, and I'll know what my favorite is, and I'll usually color it green for go. <laughs> 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 and um, and I will say, you know, how about this? Or also, I have, you know, two other options, and then and then it'll spark conversation. And-, yeah.
2: and I think, too, it's often like, if you bring a non-editor in the room and you say like, okay, here's like, you know, three hours of footage for like, you know, a 10 minute scene. It's a bit like the first question is like, well, where do you start? Like, how do you do it? Like what, you know, it's not about how you do it, but it's actually like, how do you make the choices? And again, it's experience of actually just sitting down and doing it and you have to just start somewhere. So it's not like you just start laying shots down and feeling like, Oh, okay. It's like, you know, um, You know, I know exactly what the order is going to be or I know exactly where I'm going to start. Like it's a process of like this discovery. And that's what's kind of amazing about editing is that you have this like whole moments of like, oh, like I'm taking the scene in this direction and based on performance and all these variables. And there's so many permutations of that that becomes one of just choice, you know. Hi. Thanks for being here. Uh, I guess my question is sort of a personal one, in a sense, uh, because uh, like you, you spend so much time with a movie, you spend so much time working on it, calibrating it, and it changes its form throughout that process. Uh, when do you, or how do you uh, process that it's over now, or like you're you're done with it now? It's more about uh, my question is more about how you, how do you let it go then, you know, a lot of times I hear that you have to let it go at some point of time. And so, how do you, how do you, yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a really good question, because I think in the creative process with any kind of art form, it is a question of, you know, when you let it go, or people say, you know, you just abandon it at some point. And it's a difficult one, and I think oftentimes there are, I mean, when you're working on a film, depending on what kind of film it is, there are financial restrictions, there are, different kind of restrictions that tell you you're going to be letting it go. Um, but, you know, artistically, it's it's tough. I mean, cutting all of a stranger for 14 months is a long time to cut a film. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of time to cut a film that is this kind of a film. And I think we struggled with that, for sure. And we, you know, we had a producer that would come in and, you know, I think I, I mentioned this last night at the Q&A, but he would come in and say, like, it's beautiful, keep going. And... Sure. You know, I know when we started shooting in June of 2022, we had our first kind of small screening at, uh, in November. I mean, it's essentially the same film, but it's, but it's also 20 minutes shorter, and it's not just, you know, in terms of length, but it is a different film, even though it's telling the same story. And it's just, a, it's a struggle. And it's one that I think we have a constant dialogue about, saying, like, are we done? Watch it again. What, you know, we'd sit there, Andrew and I would often sit there and be like, toward what we knew was feeling like the end. We'd sit there and we'd be like, okay, let's watch it and just say, like, is there anything, like, what is actually bothering you? Like, is there anything that you've just, we haven't addressed? And it's a very open conversation, but it's difficult because you go away for two days and suddenly you think of something else, so.
3: Yeah. A lot of times you just run out of time. Yeah. You run out of budget, you run Pencil's out of time. Down. And yeah, there's a festival submission and, you know, that's, there's that. Um, I like
1: that expression. We never finish it. We just abandon (laughs) it.
3: Another another thing about about the process, which I think it's a beautiful part of the process, is having um, preview screenings and getting feedback. The minute you have one single other person unrelated to the film in the room to watch the film, it alters your perception. It completely makes you paranoid and you think you've done a horrible job and what are they going to do walk out in the middle you just don't know and it 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 heightens it it makes you hypersensitive to uh what's on the screen and how it's playing and whether or not the jokes are landing or the drama is as heavy as it needs to be and so i i find that screening it for my assistant. I bring my assistants in a lot to watch cuts. Um, I'll bring Brick's uh, assistant in to watch cuts, and and then we have like actual audience screenings, anywhere from six people, friends and family, to you know 50 people in a theater or 80 people, and you you know what is working and what's not. I think.
0: Um, there's a lot of talk about how editing is a craft that you learn through doing uh, over and over again. But I'm curious if uh, either of you have any um, uh, personal idols uh, or work that inspire you as an editor. Do you have edit- other editors as your your idol or whose work technique inspire you?
2: I mean, for me, it's interesting because I think much of that for me came as like, from mentors that I had when I was, you know, first starting, who encouraged me to edit and, you know, were looking at things that I was cutting. Um, and one of mine was a documentary editor that I worked with in New York. Here, his name is Jonathan Oppenheim, who's passed away, but he did a lot of amazing films: *Paris Is Burning*, *Children Underground*, mm-hmm. *Arguing the World*. Like he's, he's he did amazing stuff, and he was the first editor I worked with, and it was just an absolute you know education and in, in not only how to be in a cutting room but how to think and talk about film so oftentimes i mean and it's that within a scene within you know an act within the entire thing because you remove a scene and suddenly a performance or a you know some kind of beat changes it i mean it always does that and I think that's the real difficulty in trying to understand, and that's kind of the lesson as editors you're always learning. And every film is different, so you can kind of learn from other films, but you can't necessarily like <laughs> apply that solution to um, other films that you come across. But it always is the case where it's like, oh, why did they feel differently? People will come into the room and just, they'll be like, oh, I really like what you did with like the performance here. It's like we didn't touch that, but you touched everything around it, and all the time that'll happen. It'll happen with directors. It'll happen with Studio executives, I mean, and it's just the way it is. I,
1: I think we have a hard out at seven thirty, so um, thanks
2: everybody for coming.
1: <laughs> check out check out the America Cinema Editors online. And thanks, Sandra. Thank, and, uh, you. thank you, thank you very thank much. You.